this is the uh, romantic comedy from 1985, right? There's a romantic comedy from 85 called Eternals? No, there isn't. I just made that up. Okay. Marvel's Ancient Aliens really does it for me. I have so many questions about the theology. Marvel's Prometheus. Hold on. (laughs) Welcome to Theology Corner. I know I usually don't do this. (laughs) We're going to talk about the theology of the MCU. I have questions. So, item one. Erishim created the heavens and the earth, I guess, according to the opening text crawl of this. The stars. The stars and the earth. Well, the stars make the earth because of the gravity okay is that what they say that's yeah, right he okay. makes stars he made the stars but we are given bc and ad dates meaning that the the birth of christ and the cultural importance thereof happened in the mcu so there is a jesus and people still worship him within the mcu there's only one god ma'am and he doesn't dress like that right we got that line <laughs> we got that line going all the way back to 2012 so we know for a while, at least, there's a, there are some. <laughs> presumably, Steve Rogers is a Christian. I think it would have come up by oh, now if he was Jewish. Yes. I, I think he's definitely Catholic, a, a Brooklyn Catholic. Brooklyn yeah. Catholic. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. What? <laughs> anyway, I just have that's all. I just something I was thinking about for a lot of this movie's runtime. <laughs> at first, I was like, okay, that's wow, valid. They were just like, oh, a celestial created earth oh okay big swing mcu all right cool and then when they th- start throwing the dates up and doing bcs and ad's i was like wait what huh anyway this is these are the questions that plague me as i watch a new marvel movie yeah. we will probably not answer them but we might play around in that pool later but hello everybody and welcome again to the good trash honor cast we talk about the films you'll never discuss a film studies course because film studies professors are exhausted and they will not be doing marvel movies but nonetheless uh, we'll be doing a marvel movie today uh when we do the eternals um that's what we're doing now i'm still dustin i'm still arthur um i'm still dalton and no i have not been the same podcast host for 50 years i haven't i haven't been pretending to be my own grandfather to stay doing broadcasting that's dustin yes i never dustin is the vampire i, I never pretend to be my own children i tried to stake him once I, he has I never forgiven me you, you know what you have not apologize enough not yet <laughs> keep trying you can't prove i'm my own grandfather because i've never met the fucking guy <laughs> <laughs> joke's on you pal <laughs> winner uh so there you go um we are going to be doing this thing that we do which is analysis and not review and that does mean we're going to spoil the show sorry friends if you have not seen the eternals we're going to talk about how it ends but we'll avoid it in case you're just wanting to know whether or not you want to bother seeing the film you will get an idea of that by listening to the first part of the show we'll have a synopsis so you know kind of what it's about we'll have reviews which you'll know kind of how much we like it or not and then those things will be both very 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 spoiler light then we move into expanding the syllabus which might involve spoilers of this film but more likely spoilers of films in its orbit which can result in some spoilers of the film because if you know what the orbit is you might know where this thing is going but that's going to be pretty oblique at least that is the hope. Then we move down to getting down to business. And there will be music to let you know that we've gotten down to said business. And that's when all spoiler bets are off. So there you go. That's what I have to say. Um, Arthur, do you have a synopsis for us? Yes, I do. In the beginning, celestials <laughs> formed the stars. In doing so, they sent a group of eternal beings to guide civilizations to evolve and grow. Through their doing, a race of monsters also rose up. The Deviants. 7,000 years later, the Deviants have returned, and the Eternals must come back together to face this crisis. You know, if you're a Celestial and you name your monster the Deviant, aren't you expecting it to deviate? Yeah. I mean, I this, mean 
kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, it's like, what have you done there? You know, they're not so bright. I'm just, uh, I'm just going to say that. Are Do you we... telling me the Eternals are uh, eternal? Are they eternal? Because they're not eternal, because they have a beginning. That would make them everlasting, not eternal, which is not the same thing. That's very an interesting point you brought up that I hadn't <laughs> even thought to think Dalton about. Is, uh, Dalton is malfunctioning on air. Just a little bit of shorts. Oh. had a scanner's moment, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that took me a second to digest that, that statement. Um, In Christian theology, God is eternal because he has no beginning nor mm-hmm. ending. Mm-hmm. Human beings, on the other hand, are everlasting. Oh, because of the, the divine spark or whatever, right? The uh, insolment. Uh, yeah, well, we, 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 we can have no ending. Or we, just talk about mankind itself. Human beings, yeah. Human be- well, no, the, the idea of eternity for human beings is that we ever last. We don't. Mm, okay, we yeah, never yeah. cease to exist. The sure. Unless some yeah. of us cease to exist at some point, which is another... We're not getting into that. That's too it's much. We can't thing. get into that? Annihilationism? It doesn't, oh. The movie's not about that. Okay. I don't know what the movie's about what we've talked about so far. I don't know what this movie's about <laughs> entirely, but I think I like it. <laughs> Well, tell us more. Do you think you like it? Why do you think you like it, Dalton? Tell us more. Tell us more. I guess I will. Had any of you? Had either of you seen this yet? No. 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 Me either. Okay. I. It's. It's been a while since we did a Marvel movie, let alone one that was like brand new, let alone one that not everybody saw in theaters. Uh, I don't know. Can you even spoil a Marvel movie at this point? Like the, the post credit scenes are on YouTube, like the day after the movie's coming. Yeah. Out. Is that a yeah. thing? It's Moon Knight. <laughs> oh, man. It's. Uh, you know. I mean, there are plot beats. That happen, and I, I guess they may. I don't know though. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you could spoil it. Anyway, I guess you could because there's a hill turn. There's some. I think you know. there's legitimate spoilers in this. I, you know, especially because these are characters that are not like super, super well. known. Yeah, they're yeah. they're less well known than the Guardians of the Galaxy. I have never read an Eternals comic in my life. I yeah, think I've, is... I've got an issue with the Avengers. I think where a Celestial like stands atop San Francisco and does nothing for like years. There's just yeah. this is a Celestial over there. Isn't it? I mean, Jack comes back from DC after doing New Gods, right? And then just kind of gets to do his own thing here. Yeah. As the, with think, the Eternals, it's just like weird, colorful, wacky, zany adventures of Jack Kirby. That's pretty much the extent of my knowledge. Yeah. It's what Kirby did after he came back and ripped off his own stuff. After he went to DC to work on Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. Their least selling title at the time. The superhero Jimmy Olsen. The, the sidekick Jimmy Olsen. Exactly. Yeah. It is weird that they let him do the fourth, what is it, fourth age, fourth world, the new gods or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. That's, how, stuff, that's so weird. How about having a Superman dig in this movie, though, guys? Speaking and of, Batman. And, and they, Batman. Another question that this movie presents. <laughs> the DC universe exists, exists within the MCU. Batman as and Superman. As fiction. I was, I went down a rabbit hole today on Screen Crush's videos. I don't know if you've seen the Ryan Airy stuff he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've yeah. seen some of them. Um, but he, he, I've been watching his recaps after all the Marvel shows and stuff. So I went and watched it for this. But he, you know, he kind of calls back the idea that thematic thread that it, it sort of makes sense that the DC world does exist in here because they are that echo of Gilgamesh and, and these heroic narratives that we have followed for thousands of years. And the, they, you know, we've talked about that on the show before. They are modern superheroes. Yeah, or our modern gods, I, I should say. Yeah, and mythologies. Mm-hmm. And so he he makes a point that it is sort of that consistent thread that it would make sense that they would have something like this in this world. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Name drop Superman. Yeah, this is wild. It's so funny. Uh, anyway, we were supposed to be doing Strange Days. I, yes. I'm, not, I'm a little peek behind the curtain. We we've been we'd planned our our month two of science fiction and, and after doing our anti trash marathon of sci fi and 
Strange Days stopped streaming on us, and you can't even buy this movie digitally if you want to. It is not out there. So we decided to watch Eternals, and I like Strange Days a lot. I've been wanting to revisit it for quite some time because I, I, I even on the first watch, I was like, I think I should like this more than I do. Um, so I was really hyped up to watch that. So, and I, I was vaguely aware of the Eternals discourse, right? I didn't get super deep into it when it came out, but I knew it was pretty divisive. That was really all I knew. It is the first Marvel film to be rated rotten on the tomato meter. The first one? Really? Thor 2's got a fresh rating? I think so. People are fucking dumb. <laughs> this movie, this movie. <laughs> Shots fired. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> I've I've opened my coat. I've gone through the metal detector and opened my coat, and everybody's saying, "Oh shit!" Yeah, guns, lots of guns. What are you talking about? I film critic public. Come on, how did you not like this? This is weird. Uh, with a capital W, I like this movie, and I did not expect myself to. I, I gave that preamble to say I was. I got really hyped to talk about Strange Days, so we didn't get to do it, and we had to talk about this movie. I was a little crestfallen. Um, and I, you know, did not have a high bar going in, but boy, did this kind of knock my socks off. The Incredible Hulk is even fresh. Wow. It what a dark world. Uh, dark world is at 66. Hulk is at 67. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and Hulk is better than the dark world. According to this, Iron Man two is better it than is. the dark. And I, okay. So according to Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> that's not a, that's not a misprint. It is <laughs> the better of the two films. All right. Ant-Man's better than this. Thor 1 and 2 are better than this. Every Marvel movie, according to this score. Is... And that's just not true. There is no... It's fundamentally <laughs> false. This equivalent... I could... If you gave me enough time, I could probably mathematically prove this movie is better than at least half of the MCU. Now, what if we this? factor in TV shows, we get some We get some data. We get 11% on uh, Inhumans. No, oh, yeah. And then 37% on Iron Fist. Yeah, okay. All right. That's not wrong, despite my love of <laughs> Iron Fist as a character. I... I this movie is so... This is the first MCU with an opening text crawl, as far as I can mm-hmm. think, uh, which I, I don't know that we need it. That that really feels like a, a Disney note, because I, they reveal that the Deviants are created by the Celestials in the opening text crawl, and the other characters, the main characters don't find that out until well into the movie, right? Uh, Does the opening crawl spoil that the Deviants are made no, by I, the I Celestials? Think they, I think they know that they made them and they went bad, and that we're fixing the bad. Like uh, of, of the deviants, but we don't understand that the deviants were actually having a purpose that went we out of control. We don't know the other. They don't know the 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 bigger scheme. They gotcha. don't know. The they de- do know. The they deviants. do know that deviants are a thing, and uh, that's okay. part of and their life cycle. They don't know the better, the bigger why. Gotcha. And we'll just stay the bigger wife yeah. right now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, that was what I was struggling to remember was if everybody knew the uh, deviants were came from the celestials too. From what I understand, that opening scrawl actually gives us the same information that the Eternals themselves have. Gotcha. Okay. We know what they know. Yeah, yeah. well, they... they the, Which the, is a really interesting... Yeah, the opening crawl kind of spoils that uh, the Eternals ended up not agreeing with their mandate, but we don't really understand, like, what that means until later, and mm-hmm. e- even then, there are characters that... The, the, most of the characters get to learn more information. So it is kind of a convoluted story. I can see that not working for people at some level. I, I don't know, man. This is just weird, and it subverts so many, like comic book expectations that I, I just kept being surprised by it. it it really is a fun time and i i think it's it's got thoughts on its mind it's it's got it looks good too like action in the mcu does not look that great a lot of the time especially when it's you know up close and personal right when when two two individuals are smashing each other it doesn't look great usually 
the the action photography of this is really cleanly shot and i don't think the deviants look particularly interesting i i think they're kind of kind of crappy looking honestly they they look like a poo monster like a lot of cgi monsters yeah. do but the fights involving them are really well photographed there is like a cleanliness of or clarity of geography there is a a real visceral experience that's felt disney's streaming this with the some some imax experience thing where it switches to the imax yeah. aspect ratio for the yeah. stuff that was shot in imax thank you that's cool i didn't know that was a thing streaming services could do i'm glad somebody's doing it it rules yeah i wish every streaming service had this for for imax movies yeah i've seen people complain about that though they don't really? like that shift from oh getting the black bars yeah well i don't think they like the shifting back and forth yeah mm. weird well, Suck it up. It's harder to notice when you're watching an uh, watching a movie at an IMAX. It is. Yeah, it's a lot it's harder more to notice. You got to look for it. Um, I don't know. I I like that about it. I appreciate it. Anyway, um, I don't know. There's there's just a lot to like here. Uh, it's got Marvel's first sex scene, which is funny. It's extremely chaste, but it, it's funny that it exists. I I it's got. I don't know. Every character's fun. I like Druig. Come on, Barry Keogh's great in this sensitive little bad boy. Come on. You know I love him. Kingu? He you. He, he, he me. He, he you? Yeah. yeah uh, so, no, Druig. Druig me, yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're definitely oh, Druig. Yeah. I, Arthur's definitely Gilgamesh. Yeah, sure. I'm Kingo, aren't I? You wish you were Kingu. Mm. Yeah, you're not Icarus. No. Kingo. Kingo. I keep saying Kingu. Are you a, you're a, are you maybe Fantos? Fantos? What's his name? What the Brian Fastos. 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 He might be Fastos. I might be Fastos. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. You have those deep reflective thoughts about what's mm, good for humanity. Perhaps. And, yeah. yeah. Or perhaps I'm not in this movie at all. That's probably the more likely. I I've, I've been I've been getting told that I'm druid for uh, from a couple of Yo, people you are. for a while. Oh, you are totally druid. Yeah, yeah I, I I see it now. You have I, the same jacket. I well, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I had it first. <laughs> Or did I? Ooh. Oh. He is 7,000 years old. That's uh, true. Anyway, I, I think all the characters are fun. And we I, the reason we were about to talk about Kingo is Kumail, like, is a presence here. You know, I've been a fan of Kumail for a while. And yeah. he really does, like, steen seal in this in a way that I was I was very happy to see. I, I wasn't sure how he was going to work in this milieu. And I think he pulls it off great. I think he really does pop in this. Um, I think the the emotional aspect of this movie is probably more effective than most marvel movies i'm trying i think civil war like sells its emotions pretty well i think i think that works fairly fairly well even though i think the movie itself is kind of drab in a lot of places um but you know there there's the disbanding they have in i never remember how to say uh Tino, Tino Tesh, the the uh the aztec city Tenochtitlan it's not Tenochtitlan. Is it Tuacon? Yeah, see, exactly. None of us know how to say it. I don't know which one of those well, is right. Tenoch in um, uh, whatever not, that not that Aldemar uh, movie, the the abbreviation of it, um, the Mexican Aldemar Aldomovar movie. Oh, we watched it. Um, it's not Itumamatamien. Oh, oh, Coron. Coron. Not no, wrong one. Sorry. Yeah, that's why we didn't. We were like, what are you Sorry. talking about? I was like, how long we've done Aldomovar. Yeah, well, I'd do an Almodovar. Uh, I've, I've got plans. Good. This is a big blind spot for me. Anyway, the 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 famous city, uh, the the disbanding there is great. Like I I love the structure of this. Mm -hmm. I think it, it works really well to sort of jump around their history 
prior to the events of this movie. Um, you know, just have these, you know, it's again, it's very simple flashback structure, but I think it works really well. And I think every scene where there's pathos, like this movie manages to sell it. And I it, credit where that's due. Cause I didn't think that the MCU could do that to me anymore. I really didn't. I've been pretty over this. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I enjoyed in game as much as anybody else. And, haven't really had the urge to watch it since I saw it in theaters. So, you know, it, it sort of yeah. left my system very quickly. And I don't know that I'm in that big of a hurry to return to Eternals either, but it, it had surprises for me. And that is just not something I thought the MCU was still capable of. And that's, I guess, why I'm so surprised at it, it's, it, how divisive it was, because I, you know, I I guess I expect the surprise. I, let me rephrase that. I get it being divisive with like fans and stuff, right? Yeah, they they did something different, and that's always going to bother some people because yes. they like they they think they know what they want. It is shocking to me that critics did not go for this movie. I truly baffled that more critics went for Spider Man than went for this. I it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, maybe I'll see Spider Man three, some uh, Spider Man ten or whatever. Uh, Far from Home actually is No Way Home. That's what it is. Spider Man Homeless. Yeah, thank you. That's where he winds up. That's uh, so I've heard. Uh, it, I, I just, it doesn't, it can't, it does not compute. There, there is a, a barrier in my brain with this information that, that critics just like did not go for Eternals. Cause I think it looks great. It shot really well. Like there's uh, multiple shots. I was like, yep, that's lay the director of Nomadland. And you can't say that about most MCU movies. You can't say that's the director of this other, th- like even, uh, Black Panther and Ragnarok, like movies by two directors that I think you could reasonably call auteurs. There's not a lot of moments where you're like, that's a Ryan Coogler shot. That's a Taika Waititi shot. There's probably a couple. And if I thought about it really hard, I'm sure I could come back and go, okay, I, I was wrong. Here are some moments that definitely make me think of these filmmakers. But there were just several shots that made me go, yeah, that looks straight out of Nomadland. I, I don't know. There, there is a visual style to this that is... I don't know, as unique as the MCU ever gets. And uh, I don't, that uniqueness was worth a lot to me. I don't like the end of this movie. It, it kind of ends out out of nowhere. It is very MCU in its ending. Like where we end up it reminded me of all the things that I don't like about this franchise. But for most of the runtime, I was totally on board for this weird gonzo thing. And I can't wait to start spoiling it so we can actually talk about it. All right. Very good. Very good. Well, Arthur, do you have anything left to say about whether you like it or not? Yeah, I already showed my cards. Uh, (laughs) I I, I dig this movie uh, quite a bit. Um, Man, I don't. Yeah. I I mean, I, I, again, I I understand why casuals wouldn't like it. Sure. And, but coming from critics who kind of, I think I feel like there is the severe fatigue and like every movie is the same. Why does everybody, you know, nothing changes. We lament that all the time here, too. Yeah, yeah. we're as tired of this as anybody. This really does feel like Chloe Chow's Eternals. And you can't say, like you said, I mean, I think more, I think Ragnarok has a more distinct voice than Panther. And that's just because of Waititi's humor, which comes sure. through. And he's in the movie, which I think assists that. But even that is very formulaic in, in conjunction with the MCU house style that's been developed over the last 14 years. Um, I think this really does deviate from that uh, in a number of ways. I mean, we get all the on-location shooting. We have this kind of epic scope of it. We've got this drab photography in comparison to what we see in these other Marvel films. And I, I think those are very distinct markers of Chloe Chow's style. This movie has not one, but multiple color palettes. Yeah. This is something he, uh, uh, Dustin and I were talking about off-air uh, this morning when we were talking about the movie. Is like there are a lot of kind of coded 
color choices. You know, when they are together and they're joyous and they're in their good times, it's very colorful, very vibrant. But in this kind of present day, it is they've all gone their separate ways. There's this kind of overhanging darkness in their lives that they can't overcome. And I think the film is on scene reflects that. I think the cinematography reflects that. I think this is the first time Marvel went to an actual art house director, an experimental director to make a movie. And I think she delivered something that people weren't ready for. I think discourse in five, 10 years is going to be much more interesting and maybe more forgiving to this movie in the grand scope of things, because I think people were reactionary because it wasn't what they expected. I think it has a lot on his mind. I think it's a very heady movie. It's it, it's more, you know, I think uh, thoughtful and existential than anything else Marvel has done in, in many ways. I, I think it's a really solid watch. I think it's got that kind of curious nature to it. And I think uh, she does get to uh, explore some really interesting ideas in that. And so I, I really think it's cool that they kind of gave her the freedom to do stuff that they haven't given their other direct. And we've yeah. kind of seen some more freedoms, especially through the, the, the third phase with uh, Kugler, yeah. with OTD. We did get to see some freedom start to open up. They they did feel a little more distinct. But they're still losing people, right? Like Scott Derrickson was all set to direct Strange yeah. 2. And, you know, they had the same problem that they had with Edgar Wright with Ant-Man. Like, uh, that creative. Yeah. yeah. But then they bring in a Sam Raimi, who is... Again, another very distinctive voice in cinema with a very distinctive style. And sure. you know, watching that trailer, it's curious to see how much of this is Sam Raimi versus how much of this is just Marvel paint by numbers mm-hmm. that we we are so accustomed, especially in relation to the backlash against Eternals. You know, do they again just start to play it safer, rein in the directors a little more, and continue to present things that are familiar? We I talked have an about this exhibition question about reception here. Um, this was a, a pandemic film, mm-hmm. and did it get a theatrical release at all, or was it only really released? I think it was only released in theaters. Yeah, in theaters, yeah. just and, like Shang Chi, just like Shang Chi, and, and no Widow. one saw it. Well, Black Widow was split. Black, th- Black th- Widow was split. That's right. Okay, I thought this and Shang Chi for some reason had the same thing where you could do the thirty dollars. No, okay, just Black Widow. Shang Chi was exclusive to theaters. Okay, well, and this must- that was the first. That's when they went back. Okay, and this came out after Shang Chi, right? Yeah, because so this was they- November. There you go. So yeah, it, it was only in theaters until it hit Disney Plus. Okay, okay. I just I thought maybe the lack of cinematic experience with it, or but people did see it in the movie theaters and saw it in that big. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the, and quote, I mean, it's the tenth highest grossing film of twenty twenty one, which doesn't mean a lot in in a kind of a post pandemic theater world. It grossed four hundred two million worldwide. I don't know that it actually opened in China. There's a lot of kind of. You know, not kind. I mean, there is that kind of fallout between China and Chloe Chow, who's made some remarks. They've kind of mm. personal non grata with her. So I, I know, I, I know they discussed not cutting it for a Chinese market, which is something they tend to do mm-hmm. is make those edits to make it more palatable um, for the Chinese market. And so I don't know if that that includes China if if they finally opened it there. But yeah, I mean, budget was two hundred million. I mean, this is arguably one of the biggest movies they've made. All right, two. Might have made money, but I mean, not the kind of money they want to make. It doubled its budget, and that is not not the kind of problem they looked at. Probably didn't make money. Yeah, not with I mean the marketing, the Lexus time. I mean, this cast. Yeah, because it's not an ensemble of nobodies. Selma Hayek has got a paycheck coming. Yeah, Angelina. Mm-hmm. Angelina, yeah. Angelina is a character I am surprised made it to the end of this movie. I was sure, and I know that's a little bit of a spoiler already. Up, you know, we're, we're getting a little get spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just was like, there's no way they got the money to keep Angelina in this whole movie. 
That was the whole movie. I was like, she, there's no way they got money to keep her for a second movie. Yeah. And sure enough, she's but there sure. at the end of the movie. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I like this movie actually quite a bit. I, I, I was very curious. I put it in here because it does have that divisive reputation. I was just very curious to see what this movie, I missed it in theaters. I was, I, I like Chow. I love the writer. I didn't love Nomadland as much, but I mean, I respect it. Um, and so I was just interested to see what they would allow her to do. And I, I, I think she does something really cool with this movie. And that's where I'm at. Very good, very good. All right, well, I'm going to say quickly, because we said this is not a review show at the top end, and we have done a long time of reviewing of this show. Uh, it's hard to talk about it in a one MCU movie without talking about the state of the whole thing. The whole thing, thing unfortunately. right. Unfortunately. Um, it's real good. Uh, I think it's plotted well. I think the characters are developed well. I think all the performances from the actors are great. I think the score is maybe the best Marvel score I've heard. Uh, uh, Rimwam Jualdi? I always forget how to say his name. The guy from uh, Westworld and Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah but I, I think it, it's is really really impressive yeah. uh, sound design is great uh, so I like those things about this film a lot uh, and uh, it, it, it works for me and it is asking the big question it is swinging for the fences uh, both visually in terms of style and also in terms of thematics and script so yeah it's a win for me there you go dear listener those are our thoughts which are generally pro towards the Eternals let's move on to the part of the show where we do this thing called expanding the syllabus what does that mean Dalton so expanding the syllabus is where we deliver on the promise of the show we talk about the films that you never Discuss, discuss, discuss in a film studies course. And at the time, uh, this, during the segment that we call Expanding the Syllabus, we do just that. We take a film you wouldn't discuss in a film studies course and say, but what if you did? And we try to answer that question. We try to take the, the movies that might not make their way into the, the lofty halls of academia and say, everything should be talked about in an academic way, because why not? All media matters. And uh, we, we try to develop a course uh, by... by you know, either either sup- supplemental films or texts or, uh, you know, d- different things you could bring to, to enrich the conversation. And we try to build a, a class around the movie of the week. The, is that good? Did I do it? You did. I, I know I got freestyle it every time. I don't have Arthur's cleanliness just yet. I'm proud of you. Thank you so much. Well done. Um, Arthur, what does your syllabus look like? Yeah, I, I, I want to kind of tap into that idea, think, of the thoughtful blockbuster. Uh, mm. These movies that do have, I think, something on their mind more than just entertainment. Um, and so I think to start here, I want to kind of go back and talk a bit about the new Hollywood, uh, which does mark a new area, obviously, with the rise of Lucas and Spielberg, uh, who become two pivotal voices in this this era, uh, especially at a commercial level, uh, maybe none more so than Steven Spielberg uh, and the way he shapes, I mean, the blockbuster itself and the types of blockbusters he's making. And so I think we have to go back to kind of talk about Hollywood where we're at in the 60s and 70s um, and how we transitioned that over into the 80s, the evolution of the blockbuster from Jaws and Star Wars through the 90s, uh, the rise of Schwarzenegger and Stallone, and then into the aughts and, and, and into more IP-driven material. And so I think that's kind of the way we would uh, parse this out. And I want to start with the Jurassic Park, um, which at the time wasn't a franchise. You know, it starts, but it is a massive movie. And Spielberg, I think, is kind of grappling with multiple things. Obviously, you've got the basic kind of themes of sci-fi from Crichton's work. But then we kind of talked about when we did it on the show, the kind of meta-textual narrative of studio filmmaking, that um, commercial aspect of filmmaking, what that looks like, making the decisions of franchising, you know, uh, selling that license for memorabilia and merchandise and what that kind of conversation looks like and how that feels more uh, meta in in his... um, 
filmography, I think, than some of his other works. Uh, from there, I think we just got to talk about the Wachowskis. Yeah. At all. <laughs> I, I think uh, starting with The Matrix and then just moving through. I mean, these constant, big, epic-feeling movies that just swing for the fences every time. And usually to, uh, you know, less and less result financially or critically. Uh, but they're always interesting. They're always yeah. unique. They always have huge questions on their mind about identity and person and society and culture and integration and who we are and what we are and why we are and how we exist and coexist. Uh, and they just choose very interesting stories to examine and look at and then kind of flip that on their head. I haven't seen the newest matrix, but I, I know it's probably asking those same questions because the Wachowskis never fail to ask questions. Boy, is it Arthur boy, is it? Uh, so I, I think that's where we would go from there. Uh, and then I, I want to talk about Zack Snyder, and I want to look at Watchmen and, and Man of Steel, um, both, I think, uh, which, again, do... I, I think Watchmen is an interesting pairing with Eternals of this idea of the superhero interrogating its role in itself in society. And then pulling in Superman, we obviously have the reference to Superman in Eternals, uh, but also the way that Snyder plays with that character's mythology and what he represents and what he stands for, especially in this new world, which is a much drabber world and a much darker world, a much grayer world, uh, which again is very consistent with the Eternals. And I think those are an interesting trifecta. Uh, I, I want to jump in from there to Wally and Inside Out and Pixar um, and, and sort of their approach. Uh, it's not much different, you know, and it's not, I don't think, at the maturity level of Studio Ghibli, which does assemble very, very, very thoughtful films mm. that are really digging at cultural and societal issues and questions. But I think Wally and Inside Out make that a much more personal existential type of question and give us uh, a vocabulary to work with and how to talk about tough subjects, especially with younger audiences. Uh, but I, I mean, you look at the first 45 minutes of Wally, it's one of the best things uh, made in, in the last two decades. You know, this kind of silent film playing out, this comedy of errors as we track Wally uh, before it kind of gives way to that more traditional narrative. Uh, and I think that in and of itself, t to give us that 45-minute silent movie, essentially, is a pretty bold play by Pixar at the time. And I think Inside Out kind of picks up on this and really gives us this discussion of emotions and how we have those conversations as kids, as adults, how we interact. And then just kind of puts it in this kind of candy-coated picture for us to easily digest. Uh, from there, uh, we're talking about Ryan Coogler. I want to talk about Creed. Yeah. Um, which builds off of the legacy of Rocky, but also introduces brand new questions because of the move to focus on uh, Creed himself, uh, Michael B. Jordan's character there, uh, that moved from L.A. back to Philly, and him going back to his roots and what that looks like and in, in interrogating that relationship with his father uh, and his roots and his legacy, and, and I think it has a lot on its mind. Uh, I want to jump back to the 60s or 70s really quick uh, because I want to talk about Planet of the Apes, and then we're going to fast forward. I want to talk about Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Mm -hmm. uh, another very, I think, philosophical, very thoughtful meditation on society, where we are, where we're headed, and what we're looking at. Uh, I think we got a hot Christopher Nolan, who's kind of known for these sort of heady, epic blockbusters outside of just the Batman stuff. So I want to look at Interstellar, which feels very personal, oh, yeah. but also has a lot, I think, on its mind. And then finally keeping that uh, franchise motif uh, in play. And we're going to look at Blade Runner 2045, another big money-infused franchise sequel from an, essentially an auteur art house director and Denis Villeneuve, and look at how it performs, because 
it's that interesting idea of we took a cult movie and then made a big sequel to it. And wondered why it didn't make any money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that was kind of the lingering question with Dune was like, will this sell? Because they're putting a lot of money into it. And it did, which is really cool. But I think Blade Runner 2445 is just a really interesting discourse around production means as well as legacy and franchise, especially in a modern era. So that's where we're at. All right, very good, very good. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What did your syllabus look like, Dalton? Well, it's something we've alluded to a lot already, and it's the the indie to intellectual property pipeline. Uh, and that's, this is a class I would, I, I guess I would challenge uh, anybody taking the class to kind of give me a thesis on a filmmaker by the, the end of, of the course, because that's what we would look at is this sort of, over the last 10 years, this really common phenomenon of, uh, somebody having a big breakout during at the festivals and then getting immediately scooped up to work on an IP. So I'll just throw some names out, and this is by no means an exhaustive list. I, I couldn't even come close by it. Like, there's so many. But some of the notable ones are, of course, Clojow with the writer Nomadland in this film. Uh, you've got Colin Trevorrow uh, going from Safety Not Guaranteed to the Jurassic World franchise and with a brief stop over at Disney to almost make a Star Wars movie. Uh, and then, of course, Ryan Coogler does Fruitvale Station and then moves on to do Creed and Black Panther. Uh, you got Destin Daniel Cretton uh, from Short Term 12 mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a bunch of other films before between Short Term 12 yeah. and Shang-Chi. Uh, so it really stays in that sort of smaller milieu before moving over. So I think uh, uh, Cretton's really interesting in that regard. Uh, of course, we've got to talk about Josh Trank, uh, late of Fast and the Furious, uh, Fast and the Furious, late of Fantastic Four, uh, last, most recently of Capone, uh, which is apparently a, just a batshit movie that I, I hope to get to someday. Uh, and, and of course, you know, his breakout chronicle. Uh, and then, of course, uh, another one I thought about was uh, Jordan Voight Roberts, who uh, did the great Kings of Summer and uh, the short film Successful Alcoholics and then went on to do. Um, Kong Skull Island, and someday, maybe, making a Metal Gear Solid movie. Uh, so those those are some of the filmmakers that immediately came to mind mm-hmm. for me. But it is such a common trend for somebody to you know have this big breakout success, and the directors or the the the, the bean counters come out of the woodwork and say, "Ooh, do we have a hot new name that we can?" strapped to our franchise and give it some credibility. And, and that seems to be the purpose, right? Like there, there's a, a couple of purposes. I, I always wonder, right? If you get a director of a certain size, you have to capitulate to their demands. If you get an indie director, they're happy to have the job. So there's definitely, um, more willingness to play with the studio. I think that's a huge part of the calculus on the part of studios when they hire these, these indie directors. But I, I think a lot of it is, especially over at Marvel, I think they want that artistic credibility, which is why they get you know Taika Waititi coming off of Hunt for the Wilder People and say, would you like to make a Thor movie? Who thought that was a Come on. So I, God, I would have loved to be in the room for that conversation. Um, so, and, you know, Coogler makes more sense, right? Because Creed was already you know this his his foray into intellectual property filmmaking so anyway i think all of these directors when you look at their careers they they get more interesting but you do have to wonder like what do these careers look like if these these directors don't come into this space um it's it's better for these spaces that these directors end up there but it does make you wonder like what what their filmmaking output would look like if they stayed in that world because there's plenty of filmmakers who get these offers and turn them down and you hear those stories less often because, you know, I think filmmakers tend to stay quiet. But, oh, gosh, there was somebody I heard about the other day that got offered a Marvel movie and turned it down. I can't for the life of me remember who it was. But, you know, they, they, they exist. People get these mm-hmm. job offers and say, no, nah, you know what? That's not for me. 
But I, I'm very interested by the directors who who say, I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, get that bag and be able to make whatever I want to make for the rest of my life because I, you know, agreed to make this one movie. And it's, it's very interesting. And I, I think you can learn a lot about both the business of filmmaking and the art of filmmaking from looking at these these journeys that go uh, that take place from the you know the indie circuit to the the intellectual property world. Very good, very good. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, I would teach this in a science fiction film class, I think, and I would do it a module uh, using this film, and I would call the module "Gods Absent, Present, and Derelict." Mm. So there's my little title there. And uh, you've already mentioned it. Watchmen would be one of the films to use there. Uh, this idea of you know who watches them and the idea of responsibility and power, which I think the Eternals also wrestles with uh, quite a bit. Uh, Ridley Scott's Prometheus. Mm-hmm. would find its way into the course as well. And uh, then I, I think probably uh, the Jodie Foster film Contact would be another gotcha. good example of that. And just so again, and finally, the fun one, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which is perhaps not, well, I don't know what that is. Is that your space whales? That, no, that's not space whales. That is when they go find God. They go meet space God. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who's yeah. not God? Who's, who needs a spaceship? And perhaps is a devil, not a god. But nonetheless, uh, we don't know. Uh, imprisoned in some sort of nexus, trying to get out with the Starship Enterprise. I would argue that if you meet anybody and they tell you they're god, they're probably lying to you. And I think you can take that check to the bank. Yep, odds are, <laughs> odds are strong. Odds are very, very strong. Or if they're correct, they're probably evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Definitely. You know, we might talk about Chronicles of Riddick uh, again this week. <laughs> thinking, thinking, about, thinking about Riddick again. Well, there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer, and I believe now is the time we get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. Right, dear listener, that business is, as always, analysis. Uh, there are many analytical threads by which we might begin. Um, Arthur and I have talked about a few of them off air. Uh, we've all been talking about how bananas this movie is in terms of its various thematic things. Uh, would we like to talk about form a little bit um, before we get into the sort of deeper weeds and the way in which this film makes use of both IMAX and uh, a more traditional framing yeah. and also lighting? What are our thoughts there? Well, Dalton kind of alluded did a couple last week or two weeks ago now when we talked about Sky Captain uh, that uh, that blue screening mm. where nobody's on location they're all just on set people are just popping in and out to shoot their stuff uh, we don't have that kind of on set chemistry ensemble piece uh, maybe in some scenes but a lot of that is just CGI together uh, in, in some uh, program somewhere uh, a lot of times even costumes are just CGI on. You know, they're not even in a costume. They're just in their green uh, leotards or whatever. Um, and that's kind of where we've built to in the MCU, this house style they've begun to establish, especially in their bigger pieces, mm-hmm. um, where we do have uh, a very, I think, generally colorful cinematography. Sure. Very vibrant, very lush, especially in Phase 3 with uh, Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok, which are two of the more colorful entries in, in the MCU. But mm-hmm. even, I mean, Iron Man's very sharp. Captain America's very colorful. The first Avengers is very colorful. And yet there's sort of a grayness to a lot of those films, too, which is sort of, I don't know, weird. 
yeah. there's there's almost a muted quality to the color palettes in yeah. some of those other films. But I think especially in comparison to like the DC, right? Which was yeah, which is very dark, very gray, mm-hmm. very gritty. Um, it, it established that it established, I think, a very specific. I mean, almost majority of the movies became origin stories, and they all had the same format: introduce your character, here's their flaw, here's how they became this person, here's their bad guy, here's why they're a foil, and so they've they've kind of all ran around that same motor for the last 14 years, developing a style. And we've gotten to a spot where all these movies come in, were shot on a, you know, on a studio, on a screen. And I think Chloe Chow comes in to, to do something that, that really breaks it up and makes it feel real mm-hmm. in a way the other movies don't. Those, those on-location, big, epic shots of these different locales. And you watch the credits. I mean, New Zealand, Australia, Canada... I mean, a number of different places where they've actually gone to shoot, which I think is really uh, adds to the texture. Texture is the, what the I was thinking. Tactile nature say, yeah. of this uh, this film, and she, you know, already kind of alluded that there is this transitioning, this color coding of, of mise en scène that matches, you know, the feelings, the emotions, the elation, the hardship that these characters are going through. Um which I think is very important to what we're doing. I mentioned we kind of talked about this back and forth because there is a one moment I, I noticed and kind of one of the critiques I think I've heard and maybe related to that switch from IMAX is, is kind of a color gradation change between from scene to scene. Mm. And I don't know if they are referring to that kind of in the past things are vibrant and the present things are dull or, or if there are moments, there's, there's a moment at the end. So there, Icarus has a hill turn. He confronts Cersei on their ship, the Domo. And there's a kind of a shot reverse shot back and forth between them where uh, when the camera's on Cersei, she's framed central. And then behind her, there's kind of a lighted window or some sort of frame. Uh, and, and so those shots are, are very lightened. And then when it reverses to Icarus to show him, it starts light and then fades to dark. So there's this like odd back and forth. And I don't know if that's a, you know, a, an artistic choice to let it light that way and fade out as Icarus is talking and and you mentioned off air that it might reflect him struggle that internal yeah. struggle he has I was just about like to say, a psychological you know because yeah. this is a character who is torn between his love for Cersei and his family with the Eternals versus his kind of belief lieutenantship and, and zeal zealous nature for following Erishim's orders and command and what Ajax had ordered them to do um and he's not willing to give that up, even though Cersei has now been relegated or delegated as leader of the team. And so I, I think maybe more so than a lot of other Marvel movies, this is one, uh, you know, we talk about auteurs, we talk about Maison Sand and staging and setting and framing and blocking and all those different components, which add thematically to the text. And I think this is one of those instances where that is probably more prevalent than other films. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of those choices that people aren't on board with are very intentional choices on, on an artistic level. And then I think that IMAX, I mean, this obviously isn't the first movie to use IMAX to shoot action. Sure. It's kind of a thing Nolan pioneers with The Dark Knight. Uh, and it becomes more prevalent. But, I mean, a good percentage of these big sweeping action scenes or these just big sweeping um, establishing shots in new areas or new countries or new lands are done in that IMAX format which really draws you in. I could see, I, I mean, there were several times in this where I, I really wish I had seen it in theaters mm-hmm. to really be pulled into those worlds mm-hmm. or, or, or these times and these lands. Uh, 
because those shots just are so encapsulating and there's that real tactile nature to them that, that I think is lacking a lot of times, not just Marvel films, but I think a lot of modern day blockbusters, which have become so reliant on sets. I, I don't know if I've talked about it before, uh, but Jungle Cruise is one I watched uh, a few months ago, which is just a lot of them on set. I don't even know if they're in a tank, right? It just feels like they're on a screen mm-hmm. and they're just got the, and, and it looks like bad rear projection uh, is kind of where we're at with, with, green screen and and visual effects in 2022 is that we don't have to innovate anymore because we're comfortable with where we are. And and, and man, I mean, you know, there are moments in, and I think even in Shang-Chi where a lot of those big CGI set pieces just look like bad rear projection because it's very noticeable that we've talked about this on the show a lot. Yeah. There's almost a feeling that this, this tech is getting worse in some ways. Right. And we've talked about it on the show before, and this is something that the industry talks about. The people in the VFX industry talk about like the, the crunch time, just making it harder for this stuff. Yeah. There's just too much demand for it to all look good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think being on location makes all the difference. Uh, And, I don't know. Visually, there there's plenty of uh, special effects work in this film. Don't get us wrong. And obviously, I don't think the deviants look very good. But Mm-mm. I think the the their powers look cool. This sort of hard light constructs yeah. that they're making. I think that stuff looks cool. Yeah, as compelling to me visually. So yeah, for everything that doesn't work in this film, I think there's you know three or four things that work really well. I agree. Um, do I do I like that uh, Fastos takes responsibility for dropping the bomb? No, I think that's pretty tone deaf and bad. I, I really do, actually. I, I that was the one thing I heard people talking about when this movie came out was that that moment, and it it does feel pretty. God bless Brian Tyree Henry. He he sells the the pathos of the scene, but like it 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 feels a little miscalculated. Um, involving the Eternals and the uh, genocide of the New World. That that works better to me uh, almost than, than the dropping of the bomb works for for whatever reason. Again, both are you know pretty horrific things. Uh, one does more with like questioning the role of superpowered beings in a in a world of great injustice. Uh, the the other one just I don't know it, it doesn't it doesn't sell the idea at all, and it's just such a quick scene. I mean, the scene. Well, I always read that his character always wanted to give them more than they were ready for, and mm-hmm. that that was like one. This is another moment where they weren't ready, and I push them and so if i I'd waited it. longer they might not have done this is, I, I, I get what they're going for yeah, it, just I, I, that, it worked for me really okay I, I i guess for whatever reason maybe it was just because it's such a short scene that didn't work for me and the stuff in tenno teshlon yeah anyway the stuff in mexico prior to it becoming mexico um I, th- I think that stuff's all really effective. Like I, I got really choked up during, during that scene because like the, it's a real like philosophical debate that starts to happen between these characters. Whereas the, the Hiroshima stuff just kind of feels, I don't know. It's an, it's an idea. It's an interesting idea, but I, I don't think it works very well. But again, I think for everything that doesn't work in this film, there's a lot of stuff that works really, really well. Um, I, you know, I think that there's this, the, the mod worry, wiry, what the mad, it? the mad weird, the mad weird, yeah. yeah, the mad weird, like this metaphor for PTSD. That's pretty cool, mm-hmm. right? Come on, there's some cool stuff in here. Uh, w- was there anything else about form that uh, we feel like we need to talk about? I'm trying to think if uh, I had anything that I wanted to, to talk about. Well, that's all I really wanted to do there before we started, you know, taking swings at the big stuff. 
Um, which I guess gets us down to, first of all, you know, Arthur presented to me an interesting possible reading of this film, um, that it's a, uh, it's a pro-choice film as we are, <laughs> as we abort the celestial, abort the celestial. <laughs> okay. I picked that up from Ryan Aries, something he mentions in his, his videos that that's very funny that the off putting thing about this is that they are essentially on a mission to abort a celestial fetus. They kill the space baby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but th- you. But I I, I think that's, that that is problematic for a couple of reasons. It is, yeah. and, and 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 first of all, because it it's the pro life pro choice debate. First of all, does not generally. I mean, there are exceptions to this, and extremists um, that would not also include sort of protection of the life of the mother. Right, and this is clearly um, this baby is going to kill Mother Earth, right? And so it, it it is it's clearly an egg topic pregnancy or something of that ilk, right? Uh, so it, it, I, I think the metaphor breaks down too quickly uh, for yeah. it to do that. It seems to be more about the choices of what's the the the, the, um, the crashing trolley car um, yeah. philosophical debate mm. and the the idea that there is a trolley car full of people, and if you push one person in front of the train, it'll stop the trolley car from killing all those people. There's more people in the cart than the one guy. Will you push the guy? What's what, you know, and that's, yeah. that's the question. Yeah. And you said, well, murder's wrong. And he's like, would you push a guy in front of a trolley car? No. Would you push a guy in a trolley car? Just, you know, should have, you know, what's yeah. the maths of billions of lives, of possible potential human lives versus, you know, the billions of human lives living right now on the planet. That seems to be the more the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few to go back to Star Trek mm. kind of debate mm-hmm. that the film sort of has as its center and as its core. And um, I think the solution that it arrives at is simply, yes, indeed, we can do maths in terms of human lives, but that's not really the choices we have. We don't have choices to make live maths for the future. It's do I or do I not participate in the unjust killing of a human life, or, well, at any sort of sentient life, right? And the answer the film seems to arrive at is no. You just don't, you don't play. Sorry, I was just picturing what it would be like for there one day to be a giant rock head and hand just standing out of the ocean. Kind of cool. Pretty cool. It'd be kind of cool. The world of the MCU is an interesting world to live in. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) countries are just falling out of the sky, there's... Rock monsters coming out of the Everybody was gone for ocean. five years. Half of everybody was. Now they're back. I mean, that's the big one. Yeah, that is sort of a big one. Everybody had to live in the leftovers for five years, and then it stopped being the leftovers. <laughs> Which is wild, because you have five years and not having a teenager in your house, and then it's back. Ugh. Oh, God, and you're five years older? Yeah. Oof. And it's like nothing ever changed for them? Weird. Yeah, weird. Yeah, that, I, yeah that's a weird situation really need to see those uh spider-man sequels i guess to see how they deal with that probably not Not as much as you'd think probably not very much i i I think uh falcon and winter soldier probably goes the furthest to kind of deal with it Mm -hmm. because there are some ramifications on the economy yeah yeah you know they actually try to deal with the realistic logistics of that yeah a little bit i think more so than the other any of them I was just trying to think of other other things that this could could work as a metaphor for because I mean we have so many like real cultural issues right whether it's war making or or genocide like there are, there are real concerns like v- voiced directly in this film right they're mm-hmm. not not metaphors that they are spoken about directly 
and it is interesting to just think about like what what is is there a grand central metaphor for this and I don't know, right? I love they, that there is. They, they equate. It is kind of a bummer when they're like, "Oh, the ice caps is melting because of the deviants, or because of the celestial is about to be born." Okay, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't think you should take that one off our hands, <laughs> Eternals. <laughs> I think you should go ahead and let us be responsible for that, even in this dumb movie. Uh, I don't know. I think there's a version of this story where they very easily could have dealt with some some current day concerns, and they don't. But you know, it's it's a Marvel movie. Yeah. Any any. Dealing with real world issues is only going to be so so as so light deep. as possible. But this gets into it more, you know, as much as Black Panther and uh, Thor Ragnarok do, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but all, all three of these films share in common. I think a very real concern with uh, violence in our, our actual world and and what those histories look like, mm-hmm. which are not good. Yeah. No. Um. I, well, go ahead. No, I, 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 I was I was stalling for time anyway. So oh, okay. Um. Shall we talk about God? Yeah, I, I think we have to. Uh, okay, so I mean, here's the thing. Um, Asher Racker, Asher... Asherum. Asher Okay, uh, will be the uh, the God kind of figure here. And there seems to be this sort of like rebellion against a dogmatism, a hiding of the sort of plan, a mysterious plan, total control, lack of free will. Yeah. And there are constructions of God in Christian and other theologies that sort of look like that. And uh, there's just a famous quote um, about you know these sort of um so transcendent that there's no relationality versions of god um that your god sounds an awful lot like my devil um yeah. quote quips back one uh theologian to another uh in these kinds of debates and clearly it does seem like asherim asher asherim 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 carry Conran <laughs> uh, is it does seem to be this sort of you know puppeteering kind of god, and yeah. I think that fundamentally is something we find to be repugnant. And it does seem that a lot of contemporary filmmaking, when it does raise these kind of questions, does push back, particularly against maybe Calvinism specifically, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, that kind of those kinds of understandings, and in favor of possibly more relational theologies or just jettisoning the whole works, you know, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure the film really goes anywhere with that other than rejecting the sort of puppeteering. Um, I don't think it goes anywhere constructive. It's just deconstructive in that sense. Um, I mean, the most interesting thing it does with all of this, right. Is it positions the, the good, it positions these characters as good guys only to reveal that they've been bad guys this entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I just, I love it, man. Mm-hmm. It's not there. It's a moral complexity that is, Missing from so much of the MCU, doing all the wrong things for the right reasons, and so many of these movies yeah. like pretend to be. You know, Winter Soldier is the big one that comes up as like seeming seeming more interesting on the surface than it yeah. actually is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, maybe if I thought the longer I think about this, I'll probably sour on it and be like, eh, it's not that interesting. But for what they do within the the framework of an MCU movie, that the idea that these heroes are not heroes is. The pretty compelling stuff. It's mm-hmm. more interesting than a lot of what we get out of this this franchise. Uh, just the, they they are servants to a a system that is unethical, which is not something they ever say about Iron Man, which they easily could. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, to have the defenders of the status quo actively be told, no, the status quo you're defending is evil and is hurting people. Yeah, it's really cool. It's yeah. just again, it's not a swing that these movies generally take. They're much more clear cut moral lines usually. Well, typically they're 
partially funded by the military. Yeah, that which well, helps neuters this one their probably, messaging. Yeah, it helps this one probably wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's not a lot of uh, they didn't they didn't need to get access to tanks or anything to make this movie. So it's kind of nice. Yeah, it is. It's very. It's kind of nice that the scope of the world is threatened, but we don't have a giant battle in a city. Yeah. The, the state it's it's weird how it is just as the stakes are just as big as they are in any marvel movie but the the actual and maybe it is the, all that on location shooting maybe it really is that simple but for whatever reason it it does feel more grounded in 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 this and maybe it's because it is so much grounded in the emotions of the characters involved right you have yeah. uh, all of these characters who are having to make the decision to try to kill their friend because their friend is going to blow up the planet they live on yeah Pretty heavy, mm-hmm. pretty heavy stuff. Um, <clears throat> you know, again, it's is it pretty boilerplate good versus evil stuff? Yeah, but it's it's more nuanced than than what this uh, the MC usually gets up to. I think that's worth something. Yeah, I, I think that you know Kingo makes an interesting choice to just kind of be like, y'all figure it out. I love it. Yeah, I love you all. I don't want to take a side. I kind of take a side, but I'm not going to be here for any of this. Yeah, and he goes back to Bollywood. It's a really big swing. It's it's a choice. If, yeah. For there to be just a fully neutral character who's like, nah, not doing it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, other big thematic thoughts? Points of analysis? Are Richard Madden and Sebastian staying the same person? Really? I don't think they look anything alike. Okay. I, I okay yeah I didn't think it till you said it but I see what you're saying I guess I, every time I'm just trying to conjure and there is something very Henry Cavill about Richard Madden Richard Henry Cavill Madden. that yes there yeah. is when yes. He, I mean he does look like Superman yes there that is that I agree with yeah correct and yeah making him evil is fun yeah it's so cool that he's a bad guy mm-hmm. I, again I just wasn't ready for it. I wasn't I wasn't ready for the emotion to make sense either like. We have this flashback scene where Icarus and uh, Ajax, some Hayek and Richard Madden, like where she reveals that she's she's changed her mind about this this dark secret he's been keeping for her for you know millennium. It's a really affecting scene emotionally. Yeah. Like Selma Hayek, like sells this comic book nonsense so well. Yeah, it just like way better than she, it has any right to work. Well, I think, you know, back to formalism, I guess, a little bit. That's one of the really fascinating things about the movie, how it does not tell the story linear in a linear yeah. fashion, you know? I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, that's, I, that's, I a, that's, a, that's a bold choice as well. It does the movie a lot of favors. I think so. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, they do kind of structure it like somebody, you know, uh, mentioned it, it does have that kind of murder mystery feel, which allows it, I think, to play with a lot more with character roles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just assume, you know, that, that uh, Druig is probably the... You know, he's he leaves him early. He kind of is off playing by his own rules, and it kind of makes sense that he is the bad boy of the group. And he's got a cult. The hill. <laughs> yeah, and Icarus is so kind of on the outside, but he is so in love with Cersei that he would do whatever it takes to get them there. And I think playing with that nonlinear narrative really does mm-hmm. help emphasize it makes those that heel turn reveal come, work. Yeah. yeah, well, and to you know, not put too fine a point on it, but he's a hot white guy. That's just not, that's is Correct. code for good guy in this franchise. I don't know if you've been paying close enough attention to superhero movies, but uh, they're kind of they mostly hot per- white guys. They're mostly white supremacist stories. Yes, I, I hadn't noticed. Um, no. Yeah, I don't. I, uh, Alan Moore has has uh, some thoughts on the subject. If you want to do some more research on your is own Steve time. Rogers a hot white guy? 
<laughs> Dust, Captain Dustin, Rogers. Dustin is both race blind and attractiveness blind. <laughs> I don't bl- see race. I'm or actually beauty. blind. I'm the worst film studies major. I don't ever. see color or beauty. <laughs> hey, I'm sure there's a, a, a film studies head who's sight impaired that's rolling their eyes at you right now. Probably so. Um, anyway, it, it is. It uses the language of superhero movies, but more specifically MCU movies to trick yeah. you. It uses. The, the what you would ex, what you expect heroes and villains to look like, and it, it takes that and twists it on its head, which you know it doesn't have to like make a big show of doing. It just does it, and I, I think if you've been watching the MCU for fourteen years, it is a choice that is surprising because you I you know you'd think that they were out of surprises at this point because it often feels that way. We're entering the third decade of Marvel films. Oh my god! I hate you so much. He's so right, though. We are. How is that possible? <laughs> I just had to mess with him. <laughs> why, why is why is it, why is it, well, is it making saw, him uh, feel old? Yeah. I, well, I found there was a, uh, on the day of the Oscar nominations, Denzel mm-hmm. was nominated, mm-hmm. and so a, a tweet went out that Denzel had been nominated in five different decades, and I mentioned that to him, and he was like. I was like, I mean, you've been alive in five different decades, but I have two. Wow. Dalton's only in four. Yeah, I've only got four decades under my belt. I hate everyone. Then I told him we've been podcasting in two different decades. That's weird to think about, isn't it? All right, let's pull this train in the station. Let's <laughs> render a verdict before, you know, um, death comes a knocking at me, apparently. Uh, um, I crashed into the sun. Um, shelf or trash, Dalton, go. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I guess this is shelfable because I I still feel like we haven't we could probably talk about this for another hour. Um, th- there's a lot to this movie, and I, again, I think it's easily th- th- this bar gets lower every year, but it's easily one of the better Marvel movies. Uh, every one of every one to a to a T to a to a man. I was going to say to a man, but that's not real. To a movie, there we go. Everyone to a movie has soured on me. Like, the more I think about them, the more I go, boy, do I ne- not care about that movie, and boy, do I never want to watch it ever again. Every time I look at the list of Marvel movies, I go, oh, yeah, I I really liked that when it came out. Huh. And this one, I can see myself wanting to go revisit uh, in a couple of years. Uh, when they make Eternals 2, or the next time an Eternal shows up in a Marvel movie, I might think, I should rewatch Eternals. That's a pretty weird movie. I like it. Uh, this movie fucks, and not just because it's got the only MCU sex scene. <laughs> that, that, it is, it is uh, both the horniest and most thoughtful Marvel film. Yeah. And well, boy, is the bar for horniness very low in these sexless Since films. Iron Man. <laughs> so, yeah. After Iron Man, everything was yep. it's fair. very bland. So, Arthur, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Uh, yeah, I, I really like this movie. I, I'm just in agreement with Dalton. I think there's so much here. I, I think it's even unfair to compare it. To the rest of the MCU because it does feel like it's operating on a different plane. At least until the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It does have that thing. Um, so I, I think it's really interesting and I would definitely put it on the shelf. I always like them when they're weird. Uh, so that's where I'm at. You know, it's, it's weird it for what it is. Uh, it, yeah. Is it weird for a weird movie? Not really. But no. For a commercial blockbuster. But for a commercial yeah. blockbuster, it's weird. And so the, a weird commercial blockbuster, it will always go on my shelf. So there you go, dear listener. Those are my thoughts there. What are your thoughts? Tell us via social media. Well, I've got a thought that they could share with us. Just uh, one more question for the table. What's the next weirdest Marvel movie? 
after this one? Yeah. I think if, if we're all in agreement that this is the weirdest one by a wide margin, mm-hmm. what's the next strangest? It may be Doctor Strange, actually. I think like visually what that one does. I think is really interesting. But I think narratively it's... Very, very basic. Very, other, yeah. other than a sort of peaceable solution, which is yeah. uh, subversive, I think. Yeah. Mm. I think it's strange for me on that, on the having sort of a different... I mean, the, Ragnarok the, gets kooky. Co- yeah, Ragnarok I mean, gets kooky. It really doesn't seem to care as much about its third act villain stuff. I mean, it really does seem to be... <laughs> Teague is just like, I want to do the Planet Hulk stuff, and I want to make it silly as I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting in comparison to everything else, especially in conjunction with the previous two Thor films. Right. Yeah. I was trying to think. I was like, well, I mean, like Black the first Pan- Guardians Black movie is pretty bold. weird. Yeah, okay. Uh, the, the Gar- first Guardians movie. Yeah, I was going to say Guardians. Uh, you know, Panther's bold, but like, it's not weird. It's Afrofuturism as a aesthetic is interesting. Yeah. But it's and, not. And as... it's cool that the bad guy is like got a an ideology that's interesting. But we, we've talked about this recently that the, the, the having an ideology makes you a villain in most superhero stories. I mean, I think WandaVision. Yeah, kind of plays okay. around, okay. Yeah, even okay. though it does deviate back to that formula that last episode where yeah. it does become the big television. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, film. I don't know that there is. I mean, well, Thor: The Dark World. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I think it really. Yeah, I think you were right. It's either I think Iron. I, I think Incredible Hulk's a really interesting one. Okay, because I, I think it is kind of. I mean, obviously it's the second one, mm-hmm. and so it is kind of straddling this line of what is a Marvel film. And how do we make this a Marvel film? Mm-hmm. And then you do have a guy like Ed Norton who's also trying to... Make an Ed Norton movie. Yeah. And I think it is kind of a weird amalgamation of several different right. masters mm. that is trying to be fit into a mold. I think it. I think it's very interesting. I don't know if it's the weird, you know, another yeah. weird one. But I, think I think the Loki series is the most like the Eternals. Okay. Of the various things, because I think it's wrestling with similar kinds of questions. Okay, yeah, yeah. I see. see. Right? I think it's thematically the best pair, but I don't think it's the strangest in that sense, though. Ah, okay. Just just a thought for the listener. If you want to let us know what you think the weirdest Marvel movies are, you can do that over at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That's the name of the podcast you're listening to at gmail.com. Complicated. Uh, I know. Pretty hard to remember. You can also find us over on Twitter at goodtrashmedia. Uh, one more time, that's at goodtrashmedia on Twitter. Uh, don't go unless you're already on that, that terrible website. But uh, if you're on that terrible website, give us a follow. You know, It's a good way to stay up to date with what we're doing over here and a good way to find out uh, other shows that we like. Find out about other shows that we like. Oof, there we go. Talking's hard. Uh, finally, we're over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash GTM. That's uh, where you can help us keep the lights on and, and sign up to do things like pick a movie for us to watch for the, and discuss for the show or uh, uh, fill out Arthur's uh, survey and become one of the lucky few who gets uh, DVD slash Blu-ray uh, rentals, not rentals, uh, purchases from the Arthur, <laughs> Arthur Flicks. Arthur, there you go. You become, Art Flicks. You, you, become Art a, Flicks. you become a subscriber to Art Flicks, and the Arthurtron 9000 spits I'm out I'm better than MoviePass, not as good as Netflix. Did you know MoviePass is coming back? I heard. Yeah. And, and you can watch commercials to gain credits to get movies? I hadn't heard that. I saw some weird thing going on. I just heard it was coming back. Anyway, those are how where we're on, on social medias, uh, things that you need to know about how to get a hold of us. Um, you know, rate, review, subscribe. If you've never listened to a podcast before, this is the part of the show where they tell you to do that.
What? Are you okay? I'm surprised by that. They, they, they say that? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so, so please do that. Yeah. It's important? Yes. It's real important. Why is it important? An algorithm said so. Okay. Dustin's right. never listened to a podcast, and we erase his memories after every new podcast. Because That's correct. Because we have to reset that and store it in the, uh, the cloud city. Well, we have, to, we, have to the keep, domo. we have to <laughs> the keep domo. him feeling interesting, right? Yeah. You can only bring up Slavo Zizek so many times. In the World Forge. <laughs> yeah. I'll give it a rule. <laughs> <laughs> you've, and you've broken it more times than you know about. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, if I knew, I wouldn't do it. All right. Well, I Arthur, would. I think we're probably going to do another movie, aren't we? Are we? Uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be the Kit Harrington, Mahershala Ali uh, team up that's teased at the end of this film. Um, but I, uh, I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I'm so, so, so mad. They put Blade in this movie and didn't bother to show me a Blade. I'm so furious. Oh, you see a blade. You see, uh, you see a blade. I want to see Mahershala Ali as Blade. Damn it! <laughs> Don't make me wait another five years. In fact, you see two blades. You see Excalibur and the Ebony Blade of the Black Knight. What? Oh, there's Dustin flexing his comic book knowledge. No, no, he had to ask me this morning I had who about Kit the... Harrington was. No, I didn't know who he was. Yeah, oh, I, didn't, okay. I didn't know what that was so at don't. all. But once it told me, it's like, oh, that makes sense now. Anyway, next week we're going to be joined in-house by an old friend of the show and we're tackling one of his favorite movies because next week Caleb Masters rejoins the table as we talk Steven Spielberg's Minority Report. (sighs) Just when I thought I was done with science fiction, they pull me back in. There you go, Daryl. We're going to do that next. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. 